0: Welcome to Flock Talk, a podcast of GCF North. Flock Talk exists to inform, encourage, and inspire. This is your host, Dave Farley, lead pastor of GCF North. This is season one, episode 14. And I'm joined today, once again, by my esteemed colleague, Brian Dixon. Hello. And the world-famous Bill and Judy Farley.
1: Hello.
2: Universe famous. (laughs) Whoa, whoa. Next (laughs) level. Universal, okay, all right.
0: Um, so we're going to talk this episode about the books that have had the biggest shaping influence on you. So not necessarily your favorite books, but the books that have really, really had an influential, uh, that's not the right word. Books that have really influenced you is a better way to say that. Um, but before we talk about that, let's just talk about reading in general. Uh, you guys both read a lot. Um, were you always readers?
2: Yes, I was a film was time I was little, I was I mean ten or twelve. I read all the time, but it was it was mostly fiction, yeah, fun things, but I mean, I was always reading as a kid, never anything that would help me with academics because I was a crummy student in junior high and high school. but I read all the time, but never anything having to do with anything I was ordered at school,
1: yeah. <laughs> and i I didn't really read much growing up. I was kind of a slow reader in grade school. and then, um when I was a young adult, I decided I wanted to go back and and read a lot of the classics that I never read, hmm. you know, like the Jade Austen stuff and the um, just all the classic literature and but then, as I got older, I and I read some Christian books then, but I, I started reading more and more Christian books as we <clears throat> as as we got more and more into the Reformed theology, uh-huh. and uh, now I have to pretty much exclusively listen because I have eye issues from a detached retina, so it's hard for me to to read a lot, so I I'm very thankful for Audible and Hoopla.
0: Mm, amen.
1: Hoopla has almost everything you're looking for. Yeah, yeah. they that's have an a incredible, great incredible, it's amazing. incredible so selection of Christian books. Very yeah. thankful. I think I got all, was able to get almost all the books for my discipleship group on Hoopla. There were a couple that they didn't have, but that's a real blessing. That you. When, is, when, yeah. the
2: kid, when you kids were little, Mom, did would read much because she didn't have any time. Yeah. Yeah. But by the time you got into high school, she's just become an increasingly voracious reader. Yeah.
0: So, how many books do you think you read a year?
1: Oh, I don't know. Not as many as you do, that's for sure. Nothing like you do.
2: I read probably between 30 and 50 books a year. Depends on some, when there are 800 page books, obviously I read fewer. But yeah, I like to read. Yeah. I like to learn.
1: Plus it. I I mean, besides, I love good Christian books, but I also love just a a well written book. I've been kind of in the Anthony Horowitz lately. Mm, He's so good. He's such a good writer.
0: His kid, his kids' books
1: are fantastic. The the Alex Rider books. I read most of them. And uh, you know, when Dad started writing, maybe I'm getting jumping ahead here, but when he started writing, I did a lot of his editing for him. Uh huh. And. You know, the more I did that, the more I got into reading, and
2: yeah, Judy's been a really good editor. So my first book that really influenced me—I thought about this the other day when you were going to ask this question. It's going to sound really strange, but I was a new convert, probably in my first year of Christianity. And I picked up a little book, maybe 80 pages, by this guy named Bob Mumford that I mentioned a couple of weeks ago in our in our in Fox Talk, and it was—I think it was called "Take Another Look at Guidance." I was interested in knowing God's will, but what I got out of the book wasn't at all what the author, I think, intended. What I came away with was a deep conviction that I needed to be surrendered to the Lordship of Christ and obey him. I I remember that being a big turning point for me Hmm. sometime in the first year after I was converted. And the next big thing that I remember was Francis Schaeffer's book, How Shall We Then Live, which uh, I read it twice which came out in the seventies, and I remember thinking, just being feeling almost bitter towards my education, that I'd never learned anything about the history of of, of intellectual thought in Western culture, which is what those books were about. It she traces uh, the history of Christian thought and non-Christian thought as they as they move down from the time of Christ to the present. I'd never learned any of that in school, never been exposed to any of it, and uh, it, but it was huge for me because I began to understand how important the intellectual life was. <clears throat> Schaefer was heavily influenced by Van Til's presuppositional apologetics, and so I began to see the importance of presuppositions, that they were all religious in nature, whether you're Christian, atheist, agnostic, it didn't matter. And then that led me, about the same time, to R.J. So, so pause for a second. Yeah.
0: So <clears throat> on Francis Schaeffer, pure Vantillians
2: <coughs>
0: would probably disagree with that statement. What would they say? They, they would say that, that Schaeffer modified Vantill. Oh, he might have, yeah. He might have. But the, but the, the bottom line is, is that Schaeffer's work definitely comes out of that stream versus the classical yeah. apologetics yeah. or other right. apologetic methodologies.
2: And yeah. uh, also through the charismatic movement, I got exposed to uh, R.J. Rushdoony, which just sounds bizarre. Because he, yes, because he was, that's he that's was that's very that.
0: much a reformed Presbyterian.
1: <laughs> he was, yeah. Those yeah. two
2: things don't mix. Yeah. No, it did mix. <laughs> and I read the Institutes of Biblical Law. Then I read uh, Messianic Character of American Education. And I read uh, Dominion Through Tithing. I don't remember. I read four, five or six of his books. But the main thing I got out, out of that was the same thing: the importance of the history of Christian th- of thought down through our culture, and the crucial nature of presuppositions. Um, some of some of the, some of the st- application of their thought was I wasn't always sure about. And then the next huge turning point for me came Jonathan Edwards, which was really the decisive influence in my life. Um, in the, in the 80s, I was in my mid 30s and uh,
1: let, let me interject a question. Mm-hmm. So d- d- did you because I remember, as I look back on on your life, one of the your spiritual journey, one of the books that I th- seem to, impact you the most was uh william bates the harmony of the yeah. divine attributes was that before edwards is that around the same, time. Or oh, around I, the same right time about that
2: same time yeah bates was a puritan he was one of the guys on westminster uh confe- did the westminster confession of faith a harmony of the divine attributes just so up to this point in time i was i saw the wrath of god in the bible and the love of god in the bible and i believed both of them but i didn't have a holistic understanding of how those were harmonized. And when I read Bates, I saw, oh my goodness, the cross of Christ harmonizes all of the divine attributes. You know, at the cross of Christ, the wrath of God and the love of God are both glorified. So that was a huge, huge thing for me. But really, at about the same time with Jonathan Edwards and with Edwards, I devoured his stuff for five years. I just read Jonathan Edwards mostly time.
0: his sermons, or or all of it, yeah. His his it's the two volume banner edition, probably.
2: Yeah, yeah right. And then, yeah. uh, we, we visited the Jonathan Edwards Center at Yale, and uh, that was great because Yale has published uh, two thirds of Edwards' stuff has never been published. <clears throat> so the two volume set by by Banner of Truth is what's been published by Edwards, but most of his sermons were never published, and he has tons of other stuff that were never published. So that's all online now. Yale has put all that online. You can find it all. But Edwards is huge for me because with Edwards, I I found a congruence of two things that have been working in my life, uh, really rigorous, systematic thinking about the Bible and the power of spiritual experience. Both those things met in Edwards. So my charismatic background, spiritual experience, and my Reformed background came together in Edwards, and there was a fusion. There was a synthesis and even today I you know Edwards just had no use for theology that wasn't experiential that wasn't that didn't trans- work work its way from the heart outwards in life and change everything of course he's the the great theologian of revival because he lived during a great awakening and he saw all kinds of bizarre crazy stuff in, in terms of experience and rational stuff and he had to work through okay how do we understand this how do we how do we understand all these uh, uh, amazing experiential exper- spiritual experiences that people are having? Are they from God? Are they from the devil? Are they from the hyperheated flesh? So that was, anyway, I that discovered... That was
1: the religious affections came out of that,
2: right? <clears throat> right. That was the religious affections to the culmination of all that thought.
0: So, so back up a little bit. So, so when were you first exposed to Reformed soteriology? Was that... Was that uh, some of the Puritans exactly, you read, or was that like Ern Baxter, about Mumford?
2: Uh, Baxter was Reformed, very okay. Reformed. And Mumford was too, but he didn't emphasize it. Okay. But Baxter, who had no formal theological education, was a huge— well, Baxter was always talking about George Smeaton and the, the 19th century Scottish Reformed theologians. I bought some books by Smeaton because Baxter was always talking about them. These Now, these are Charismatics, so these are Reformed guys, you know, And uh, so I I, I understood that these guys were good guys and that they were good guys to read. And so as they would talk about these men, then I would buy their books and read them. I don't remember exactly, Dave. I think
1: it was around 87. That's when you started to get into Edwards. Yeah,
2: Edwards really crystallized all that for me. It really became really clear to me. For example, you get in Edwards. I had been reading the Bible by 87 for 15 years, an hour a day, and I had all kinds of questions. I had no formal theological training, so I had all these questions about the attributes of God and why no—in the, in the, in the uh, air, school that we ran with of people, nobody ever talked about the fear of God, the wrath of God, the judgment of God, the cross of Christ. Those were just like forbidden subjects, and but I saw them in the Bible everywhere. And I, I wondered, how do I understand all this? How do I fit all this together? When I came to Reformed theology, as I mentioned, the Harmony of the Divine Attributes and Edwards, all that came together for me. And then that began to ruin me for Fluff. that world. I think the <laughs> next really big thing that influenced, major influence after that was Nine Marks of a Healthy Church, because I really didn't have a formed ecclesiology until we started the church, and we started Grace Christian Fellowship, I realized I needed to figure ecclesiology out, and it was at that point that I came across nine marks of a healthy church. And that was a huge, huge influence. I said, "Yes, this is this is a basic structure for what a healthy church should look like." Yeah, and we began to move the church in that direction. And I, I,
0: I, I just had the elders read the fourth edition of that for the elders oh, really? retreat last yeah. weekend, and. Um, it's so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, haven't, yeah. I haven't read the the book in probably ten or fifteen years. I've read all, I've read a lot of booklets and a lot of other books from my church. It's really used by God. As far as that book goes, um, I forgot how good it was. Yeah, it's so and it's good. it's really shaped GCF. Yeah, and it's just classic Baptist ecclesiology. There's nothing yeah. new yeah. Yeah. or fancy. Yeah. It's just it's, yeah. it's, it's
2: put together in one place and it's yeah. put together as an ecclesiological system. Yeah, which is really helpful. So by the time we founded the church, and I, I was age fifty two, I really haven't read anything since then. That's been a major. That's been like an earthquake shift for me in terms of direction. It was pretty well. I was pretty well formed at that point in time.
0: Yeah. Favorite systematic theology, Dad?
2: Uh, Wayne okay. Grudem. Others that have influenced you? Uh, yes, uh, the guy from. Come on, this is a senior moment. <laughs> Preston Theological, Charles Hodge. Charles Hodge, yeah. Yeah. I read his biography last year. It was really good.
0: The one by?
2: The guy with the strange name.
0: Yeah. Uh, Hofnecker? No. Oh, okay.
2: Although I, that is That is a strange, strange name. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I read a great
0: Hodge bio a couple of years ago. Uh, I forgot the guy's name.
2: It was that, like an Indian name or something. I hmm. can't remember. Huh. At any rate, that, that's why i like <laughs> How about
0: how about uh, any good biographies that have shaped you?
2: Oh, Martin Lloyd Jones' two-volume biography and the Woodfield two-volume biography; those were just huge in my life. Oh, and I've th- another really important book I forgot to mention was "Preaching and Preachers" mm. by Lloyd Jones, which I read in about 1990. And at that point, i really got opened my eyes to the centrality of preaching. Mom and I were talking about this earlier today. The God used I don't probably read fifteen or twenty books on preaching over the years, but that book and John Piper's book, the, the Supremacy of Christ in Preaching, those two books were just were huge for me. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Both excellent books. Yeah. Right behind you on the bookshelf. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, mom, how about you?
1: Well, speaking of the uh I I do love a well done biography by one of our Uh, you know, saints of the past. And I love the Edwards biography by Ian Murray, but I really loved the Martin Lloyd Jones. Dad bought me the first volume. He said, if you read this, I'll buy you the second volume. And I (laughs) devoured it. And then I read the second one. And I remember where I was (gasps) when I was reading where he dies in Mm. the second book. I was, we were sitting on the ferry dock on San Juan Island and I started crying when he died. Yeah. I told Bill, boy, this is a good biography. When you die, when the subject, when you cry, yeah. when the subject of the book dies, mm-hmm. because that that man's life so um, spanned what eighty years, yeah. and he saw so many things, and a lot of the things that we had kind of lived through, you know, the early charismatic stuff, ecumenism, and than just how dedicated his life was, how given over mm-hmm. his life was to the things of God. He, you know, he gave up a career as a very promising physician. I'm sure he would have been knighted because he was the assistant to the Queen's physician, and he gave that up to go into ministry. And I, his life really impacted me. Uh,
0: that that book is so good that I've read the two-volume one twice. Yeah. yeah. And, and then the one-volume abridged version it's is good really too. good, have too. Have you read—there's
1: yeah. one on—Canon uh, uh-huh. Press has one that I'm reading right now. Oh. Yeah.
0: On Lloyd-Jones? Yeah. By who?
1: Um, Does Dane Ortland have one? I don't oh, remember who it's by. But just—so those two biographies, both by Murray. Yeah. He also has a good biography of Pink. Have you read that? I have not. That that's a good biography. Have you, guys I, read, have
0: you guys read Sproul's biography by Nichols? He has. Yes, I it's haven't. Good. It was really yeah. good too. Yeah. I
1: haven't read that, but I, uh, the Holiness of God by Sproul was pretty instrumental for me. Just, um, you know the the magnificence of God and it, who He is, and that 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 hit me pretty hard. Um, I love <coughs> Jerry Bridges trusting trusting God.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: that that was huge for me
0: Mm -hmm. that that book is a is a classic book on providence it is written at a very very lay level Mm
1: -hmm. yes it's it's so good i love his writing i love the discipline of grace too we used to use discipline and grace with when i started women's discipleship that was one of our books and i think it was a real
2: what was the other one you mentioned to me earlier today sweetie
1: um Well, a couple, if I could just mention a couple of like studies I did. Uh,
2: The Fear Factor.
1: The Fear Factor. The the women went through that early on in the church. And that by Wayne Mack, uh, that is a great study about the fear of God. And then the other one is uh, When I'm Afraid, the Ed Welsh companion book to, I think it's Running Scared. Kind of had a hard time getting into running scared. He has an interesting writing style, but the but the companion book, when I'm afraid, that was really instrumental in my life. And I'm thankful that those came along. Yeah, other books. Wow. Let's see. I'm just blanking out now. But um, you know, anything by Ian Murray. Yeah, I, Ian I find Murray's really, really good. good. He's such a good writer.
2: You asked, you asked about bios. Dave, another big bio is George Marsden's biography of Jonathan Edwards, mm. yeah. and Ian Murray's biography of Jonathan Edwards. Yeah, and uh, uh, what's his name? Biography of Spurgeon. Dalamore's biography of Spurgeon is yeah. really really good. And
0: Spurgeon's autobiography, yeah, two volume, is superb.
2: I I didn't like it as much as Delamore's but
0: it's a lot. It's a lot thicker. Yeah, yeah. and a lot more detail. Yeah, but da- Dalamore's is also it's it's so good. It's a lot. It's one volume, very well written.
2: I also
1: love the Puritans which I think also is mir- is Ian Murray which is a collection of the Puritan lectures that or they that, did Or is that is that Lloyd Jones? Lloyd yeah. Jones yeah. yeah but yeah. I think Murray put it together. Yeah. Anyway, that that's a wonderful book. I love I also love uh Revival of People Saturated with God by Brian Edwards because I I love revival history and I think it's our great need right now. Mm. Um Actually, in the in the early nineties, I kind of devoured a number of books on revival, anything I could find, like on Azusa Street and the Great Awakening, and uh, stuff in Indonesia. The eighteen fifty nine revival. Yeah, the eighteen fifty nine revival.
2: The Great Awakening. Yeah, but
1: but Edwards is just Brian Edwards' book is just such a good kind of overview of revival. And within that, there's some wonderful stories about things God has done in the past. Yeah,
0: well, let's let's shift gears uh, and and talk about your books, Dad. So you've written seven or eight books now. I don't
1: remember. Six or seven. So yeah. the f- yeah. the
0: first one, for His Glory. Mm-hmm. Talk about that one and why you wrote that book.
2: <laughs> that was a book on the cross. That was really a summation of I by that by this point in time I wrote that book I was really seeing the cross as a center of the Christian life. And so that's what that book was about. And that that also was a part of the fruit of the harmony of the divine attributes, which I'd read a decade prior to that. Then the next book was Gospel-Powered Parenting.
0: Wait, 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 hold on. So I, th- I think you're confusing Outrageous Mercy with For His Glory. What did I say? You said, so For His Glory...
2: Oh, was the first no, book you wrote? No, right. Oh, He's yeah. Right. Oh, I don't even think of four as gory as... Uh, that's oh, okay. what you I've said. I've taken yeah. that out of print. He, I mean, that, that was my first... <laughs> that, that Self-published? Like, it's I don't want anybody to read it out.
1: There's a great book in there trying to get out. It yeah. needs to be redone. The editing was terrible. We hired someone that didn't yeah. know what they were doing. and But it that's a great little book.
0: Yeah. So, so Outra- outrageous mercy.
2: Outrageous yeah. That's mercy the book on, book on the cross. The cross. Yes, that's right. that's just the the book to clarify. Book on the cross. Yeah. So, Forrest, Forrest Gore is nineteen ninety eight or ninety nine. Outrageous mercy was I don't know two thousand. F- well, the first time
0: it came out with Baker, and then PNR picked it up, right? Yeah,
2: and then PNR picked it up. Baker
1: then, didn't like it because, well, Baker, the acquisition editor liked it, but then he, the editor that worked with him, was an Armenian feminist. You think that's gonna fly? <laughs> She left the Not she left off, <laughs> yeah she People left the him. endorsements off no endorsements and it was a flop. So one day I told Dad I found it on Amazon and I told Dad, "Sweetie, I have good news and bad news. The good news is somebody just ra- wrote a glowing review of Outrageous Mercy. They said it was the best book on the cross. The bad news is." You can buy it for seventy eight cents. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, so yeah. ne-
0: next was uh, uh, gospel powered parenting. Yeah. Well, wait, wait a sec. Wait. Go,
1: you got to go back to the to the re uh, published oh, version yeah, of P- outrageous. Yeah, P picked it up because this is really the launching point of the rest of his books.
2: Well, oh, that book outrageous mercy did not do well, and so I thought that does not because I had worked so hard to find a publisher. I thought I'm not gonna, I'm not. God, if you want me to write, you make that you're gonna to have to open doors for me because I'm I'm done with this. And so a couple of months went by and one day I got an email out of the clear blue from Presbyterian Reform saying we'd like to republish Outrageous Mercy. I said, Oh my goodness. Okay. So they republished it. And then I said, you know, I've been I've been thinking about a book on parenting. Would you be interested in looking at the manuscript? They said, Yeah, we'll look at it. So that was gospel-powered parody, and I got published, and that took off really rapidly. So then— And that, that's that been your bestseller, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, and then, just
1: th- just sec. To this day, we do not know how Outrageous Mercy yeah. made yeah. its way to the acquisition editor at Presbyterian and mm, Reformed. An angel. An, an angel. an yeah. angel. It was yeah.
2: an angel. Yeah. So then the next book was uh, gospel-powered humility, which I think is my most important book, and uh, that one. So, so P and R said, "I said I got this idea on humility. Well, we'll look at that. Yeah, we'll publish that. But I didn't get any really help at all in the publishing process. So hardly any editorial help at all. And it came out. I, I only have one endorsement on it, which is some Tim Chowley's, which is really nice. Uh, but it's gradually selling. And uh then uh what happened. And, next? and
1: World magazine had a runner after yeah, well, we yeah, the book. We had World Magazine, it was
2: running our book of the year in World magazine. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. I myself and DA Carson. To Carson's book. Uh, who, who's who's DA Carson? Of, they had, yeah. They had, who's that? Who, chump change. Chump change. They, they had a picture of both of us next to each other, we're holding up our books and Carson's book was Book of the Year, mine was running our book of the year. The Michael I,
0: Jordan of publishing. Yeah. DA Carson. Yeah. Next to
2: the Steph Curry Publishing? Was, I don't know. He
1: was thrilled to be pictured with D.A. Carson. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. When
2: Carson was here, I said, you don't know this, but I was pictured next to you at the World Magazine. No, I don't remember that. I said, I, I knew you wouldn't. But it was I didn't a big, either. I it didn't It was a big deal either. for me. <laughs> it wasn't a big deal for you. So the next book, I think, was Hidden in the Gospel. Is that right, sweetie? Do you remember?
1: Yes. And that's...
2: That was PNR as well. That's that's Charlie's, a that's a great little book. I know. agree. Uh, you Get know what? Press. That's yeah.
1: starting to kind of take on a life of its own.
2: So I wrote. Charlie's that, gave it a really good review. That book came out, and then three or four weeks later, I it was it hadn't hardly sold at all, and I was really discouraged. I thought, oh. I remember driving into work thinking to myself, God, I that same prayer. I'm done with writing, Lord. This is. You know, and I walk in, sit out at my desk, and turn on my computer, and there's a glowing review from Tim Chowies about this book, and it right away it went from zero to top fifty books on Amazon or something. You know, for a, for a day, <laughs> <laughs> fifteen minutes of hey. fame, yeah, so, for a day, yeah.
0: But that, but that's that's still in print though,
2: right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, all these books are still in print. Okay. Oh, no, Outrageous Mercy is out of print. Oh,
1: I, I think we told you when. We started going to a church, right, a different church in Phoenix, right before we came home, and the the pastor came down, came over to meet us, and they started talking about books. and He always likes to find out what books the pastor
2: likes, and uh, That's that way I can find out a lot about. Yeah.
1: It. So this pastor, who we really like, says, "Yeah, but my favorite book right now, I don't remember who wrote it. It's called Hidden in the Gospel." we just gave it to all our home group leaders to read. I said, actually, he's the writer. <laughs> 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 he was an instant rock star. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> nice. I,
0: I I my favorite's Outrageous Mercy still. I I
1: That's a great little book. Really?
0: Yeah. When I I read that when it first came out, whenever that was back in like oh three or oh four. And and it's a great little book on gospel centrality.
1: Yeah. yeah. And Charlie's yeah. gave that a good review, too. Yeah, yeah
2: Charlie's loved that book.
0: Okay, yeah. so what was next after Hidden in the gospel.
2: Uh, God. Marriage in Paradise? I think it was Marriage in, might be Marriage in Paradise, yeah.
1: No, no, The Secret of Spiritual Joy.
2: Oh, yeah, The Secret of Spiritual Joy uh, with... Uh, Cruciform. Cruciform Press, yeah. Yeah. That that book hasn't done that well, and I can't figure out why, because it was about gratitude as a response to the gospel mm. and how that should overflow in our lives. So, at any rate, I have people that love it that contact me, but, I mean, it's...
1: We have, a, we have a friend in Phoenix, and she loves Dad's book. She loves that book, and she's done a, a whole bunch of women's Bible studies from that book. They're all
2: doing it, yeah. Yeah. So, and then the, then the next book was Marriage in Paradise, which I self-published. There's so many books out there on marriage, it's really hard to get anything published on marriage. Mm-hmm. You have to be taking some kind of really unique angle on marriage, and I was not doing that. So I finally thought, I'll just, I'm, I want to get this in print, so I'll just publish it. So...
0: And, and then I, you said you just you just uh, finished another book,
2: book on masculinity, seven yeah. dimensions of spiritual masculinity. Okay. Yeah, this is about this is about the findings of, of neuroscience about the male and female brain. It's really, I to me, it's really fascinating to, uh, mm-hmm. how different the male and female brain are. It, it's most this research has come out in the last twenty years, and interestingly, it's come out of feminist strongholds, Stanford and Cambridge, primarily by neuroscientists working on doing studies. So you would think these people would not want in any way to admit that the male and female brain are really different, but they're radically different, and that's where all this research has come from. So I, I put this book together, starting with the um, biological basis of the diversity of men and women and then making the point that God, the Holy Spirit has to come and take what's masculine, biologically masculine, and transform it into spiritual masculinity, Would you know, you know, harness it to service. And then each chapter ends with a discussion about how Jesus uh, is the uh, exemplar of this particular attribute of masculinity.
0: And are you looking for a publisher for that one?
2: Yes, um, and I haven't found one yet. Okay. Very good.
1: One thing that I've been trying to encourage him to do, so for six years, he wrote an artic- a history article in an Enrichment Journal... Which went out to 30,000 Assembly of God pastors. Your friend Pete Privateri used to read it. And uh, they're great little articles. And I, I think it would be a wonderful resource for like homeschoolers, or I'd like to see those compiled into a book. I think it could be a winner.
0: Well, thanks so much for sharing your thoughts on books. Uh, Books are a wonderful means of grace that God has given us to help us grow in godliness. They are. Well, thanks for listening to Flock Talk, and ministry of GCF North. GCF North exists to glorify God through gospel-centered worship, evangelism, discipleship, and community. To learn more, go to our website, gcfnorthspokane.org.